Welcome to Let's Talk Ed and Zahi. We have been talking about uh, the cost of education for certain students at the community college level. And we, we've talked about it costs more for some of our, our students that, that require the most services. So those first generation students, uh, students that are non-traditional students, students that come from disadvantaged backgrounds. And we're not using that in a derogatory way, but the reality is they need a lot of services to be successful. All of these are services that could be very beneficial for a lot of students. So when we talk about services like this, let's talk about the kind of services and, and the kind of practices that are really important for student success, uh, especially for you know the, the students that we're talking about, the non-traditional students, the first gen and, and so on. Yeah, uh, I think the number one service we can do is uh, having a schedule that fits theirs. Um, so that's, I think for me, the, the starting point. But also, uh, and we've alluded to that a few times uh, over the last few months, uh, you're advising and counseling your uh, financial aid, your other wraparound services that that student needs, whether it is an open library, whether it is tutoring, not when they're in the classroom, but when they're studying. And from my own experiences, a lot of our students are studying on Saturday and Sunday of the weekend, and this is when we're closed. Our libraries and our tutoring services are not available in, in many instances for them. So, you know, thinking about when our students are needing us and being there for them. Sometimes it's not necessarily being open 24-7. Rather, it is open during when we're needed, which could be the exact number of hours uh, that we're currently open, but just shifting it to when we're needing uh, or our students are needing it, similar for food. But I think other helpful services that we don't do a whole lot of and we know their importance is are things like creating cohorts. And how can you create a cohort when people are part-time is more of a challenge. But it perhaps uh, starts with what we do in our classroom and the modalities of instruction. I think augmented and virtual realities can help create and foster some of those siblinghoods amongst the students that create support effectively using our online and electronic tools that we have deployed. Every college has, has some kind of a learning management system and some kind of a portal for students to access uh, education uh, remotely. So how can we rethink those and take them from the very basic levels to where we're really serving the student in the fashion and in the time when the student needs it? is I think how we're gonna be able to answer the question. Because I really fear that both on the federal and state levels, there isn't a whole lot more money that they can give us. Yeah, and you know, as you were talking there, I was thinking a lot about, you know, cohorts and the idea of, you know, community. And there are a lot of students that, you know, especially the traditional aid students, when they're thinking about 
a college. They're they're thinking about yes, the the education, the academics are important, but they're also thinking about all of the other pieces that go with that, and the the social aspects of college are incredibly important. And you know, my my thought went to. You know, it's really easy to say, you know, you're a cohort because you're the class of, you know, whatever year they're expected to graduate or you're a cohort because you're all together in, you know, English 101. Um, but I think it goes beyond that. I, I think it's, you know, how you you foster that togetherness and you know, sure, it's easy to go into an LMS and, you know, have an assignment where, you know, you need to have a group discussion on there and you need to reply to so many comments. But that's not really what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's it's this idea that you're part of something bigger than you. And um, I think four-year colleges and universities do that well, and partially because your residential campuses generally. Uh, so, you know, you're living, you're learning together, you get into community colleges and, you know, you're going home afterwards. Um, you're not spending that time together on campus. So how can we find ways to do that more? Um, but, you know, at the same time, leveraging some of the other pieces. So, you know, you find ways to do some of that online. You find ways to do some of that tutoring. And I, I think, you know, in general, as I'm sort of rambling here, but, you know, it, it's meeting students where they're at too, which is something, you know, a term that we've used a lot. You're absolutely right. Um, and another element that, that we don't focus on is lesson planning can help a lot with creating those learning communities and those support networks and the practices of support that our students uh, need and deserve. So when we flip to an active learning model, what we're in effect creating is a student working with another student or a bunch of other students, which then creates those bridges rather than the barriers of I'm going to sit here, I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to zip out of here. And you spoke a few weeks ago about the fact that, you know, you're in your 40s, you're the age of the parent of so many of those students you would be with, then it would be potentially uh, hard to interact with them on a social level. So let's create an educational rationale and educational reason for those communication to uh, communications to happen. And I think this is where I'm going to harp back on supporting the faculty and helping developing their skills, because those are for the most part, not things that you and I and millions of others who are in higher education have gone through, right? We've gone through a different approach and to apply what we don't know can be potentially problematic uh, because we don't know how to do it and, and we see it as a series of obstacles. So the practices and the services that our students not just need, but they deserve may not cost us any more, and we may have the infrastructure for it. Because throwing money at, at uh, some of those um, needs and requirements and practices may make us buy another gizmo or tool or gadget, electronic gadget, that may or may not be used by students. But words of affirmation 
from your teacher go a lot further into making you feel welcome, into making you feel that you're doing something uh, that is good, as opposed to living in anxiety and waiting for a grade. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, I, I heard this on a college tour at one point, you know, they talked about small class sizes and they talked about, you know, you're in a class where you can't hide in the back of the room. Um, you know, there's an expectation of you engaging with your your education. And it is something you see a lot from non-traditional students, especially, is that, you know, they, they've had enough life experience. They know the importance of engaging themselves. Uh, but, you know, it's something that I think it's important for instructors at, at all levels to you know, really emphasize the importance of, you know, your education is going to be as good as what you make it to be uh, and encourage people to participate and engage in education and, and find ways to bring out students that may be shy, um, you know, may be uncomfortable with that, but not do that in a way that continues to make them uncomfortable. Right. Another element of what students deserve in terms of uh, practices is being able to attend classes taught by full-time faculty, because it has been shown time and again that you're more successful. But it's a double-edged sword. Remember that during most of the day, the uh, part-time individuals who are most likely to be doing another type of uh, job are not available. So who's going to teach during the day? And then when you've worn out your, your workforce during the day, how are they going to be here in the evening? So really, it's, it's, I know it's hard, and I, and I realize it. We live it. But how do we rethink it is the question that we need to think about. Because those are best practices, and they've been empirically proven to help the students, especially the first generation, especially the non-traditional. So can we, for example, rather than paying the adjunct part-time instructor just for the time they spend in the classroom, can we pay them more? Maybe not. I don't know. Those are questions to be asked. Can we focus on common type of course shells that can be used so they, they're not spending time developing material from scratch? because all they get is a, is, a, is a master syllabus or, of course, our plan of record, whatever you'd like to call it. And so can, what can we create in terms of a change in momentum and practices that, in effect, are best practices for our students, especially the non-traditional students? Well, and I think, and we're starting to run short on time here, but I think it's important, too, for you know, colleges to find a way that they're engaging their their part-time and adjunct uh, instructors in the same way that they're doing that with their full-time. Um, and I understand that's difficult because some of them may not actually, you know, work in the same physical community where you are. Uh, you know, they may live somewhere else, but, you know, are they being afforded the same opportunities, you know, in terms of professional development? Um, you know, is it as simple as making sure they're invited to workshops uh, or having workshops that fit their schedules to make sure they're learning the same best practices that we're doing with our full-time instructors? 
So I think that's something also really to, you know, do some consideration of uh, in the long term. So we've been talking about some of the services and practices that can be helpful uh, to make sure uh, our, our students are successful. If you enjoy topics like this, be sure and uh, subscribe to us here on YouTube. Ring that bell down below so you get notified when we post new content. And of course, you can also find Let's Talk Ed on all of your favorite podcasting platforms as well. So for Dr. Zahi Atala, I'm Chris Ford. We'll see you next time right here on Let's Talk Ed.